Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are joined by Kevin Krushevich, founder of Marketing Trail Guide, which provides marketing leadership and guidance to companies looking to grow their business. Prior to founding his own company, Kevin's background was in product marketing and direct and channel sales for everything from startups to multi-billion dollar international brands. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Rebecca. Happy to be here. So I think first, Kevin, I want to dive into the fact that your intro is a little different, right? You used to be the founder of Tell and Train, and now you're the founder of Marketing Trail Guide. Why the name change? Yeah, so you know, as as we grow as individuals and as companies and things change, we take on new um, opportunities and grow in our expertise. Um, sometimes you find that uh, what you used to call yourself or refer to yourself as isn't quite as applicable as it used to be. So. The, the old name was Tell and Train, which really, as you mentioned, kind of came out of my product marketing background, um, building a lot of marketing and training content for uh, software companies and, and the like, and um, and just parlayed that into sort of my own brand as I kind of went, went out and freelance. And then as the company grew and we started to take on other projects, um, really realizing that um, the Tell and Train impression wasn't quite connecting as immediately as we wanted it to. So... We figured marketing trail guide um, was um, pretty explicit, um, pretty obvious, and hopefully um, it's fairly clear for people to understand what we do. So then the big question, because we're going to be talking about personas and messaging and all kinds of things, is did you follow your own process when you did your rebranding? Absolutely. Although I found it to be a lot harder uh, with myself and with our company than with others. Um, and I guess that sort of plays into... Um, a lot of the narrative that I talk about with my clients where, you know, there's this thing called the curse of knowledge. Um, the curse of knowledge being, you know, we know so much about our own thing, whether it's our own domain expertise or about our own company, it's hard to get objectivity. And so sort of bringing in outside perspective, outside help um, is really helpful. So what I ended up doing was doing just that. Um, I kind of pulled together a consortium of um, people that are sort of multidisciplinary that aren't necessarily marketers, but um, were in business and a business coach of mine and folks in software and folks in other other industries to help me get that objectivity. Um, you know, going through a process of um, trying to define your target audience and your message to them. Um, I found myself stumped a few times and really had to get outside of myself to get that layer of objectivity that I needed. I do think it's often true. It's hardest to, to turn our, our powers on ourselves, um, but it's important. And I, I think it also helps um, build your own credibility and legitimacy to, and, and practice, right? You're like, wow, when my clients go through this, this is what it feels like. And it's easy to forget that when you're more distanced from it. Yeah, there's, I guess there's a little bit of a funny way of saying that, that I've, the expression that I've heard is sort of eat your own dog food, right? Um, and, and walk the talk, I guess is another way of putting it. Um, and I think, I think marketers, um, have, have a challenge with that sometimes. I certainly struggle sometimes to, um, you know, get into content creation mode myself, um, because of that subjectivity that we deal with. So I think it's really important for the credibility factor. Um, to demonstrate that um, you believe in what you preach and you do it. 
Um, and I think carving out owner time and um, allocating resources to um, getting your stuff done is really important. Awesome. All right. So that's kind of what's going on in your world. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing with your clients and in marketing now that's got you just super excited. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't think it's necessarily anything cutting edge, but I, I did have an experience recently with uh, a client in the nonprofit space who um, has been around for a long time, has a nationally known brand. Uh, is, is The brand is, is attached to, um, the, the nonprofit brand is attached to a for-profit corporation that everybody's heard of. And one of the challenges that we came up against is um, some of the some of the brand associations connected to the for-profit entity sort of rubbing off on the nonprofit entity and creating some confusion, um, creating confusion about kind of who they were, what their mission was, who they served, how they were funded, um, those kinds of things. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's easy sometimes for marketers to be the hammer in, in search of a nail and to sort of pound uh, away at what they know. But I think it's helpful, and, and what I'm pretty excited about right now is uh, allowing the, assumption, the assumptions um, to be suspended for a period of time and really go in with a curious mindset, um, really start to look at the market research aspects um, that need to really precede any type of content creation or deliverable, um, any type of creative work. Um, and it's easy to make assumptions, especially if we've been around a brand for a long time. Um, but coming in kind of with that clean slate, I think, um, really affords us the opportunity to uh, to check our assumptions and make sure that when we do go into campaign mode, content creation mode, creatives mode, uh, that we we have some solid beliefs that are well-founded. And you can do that just by talking to the target audience, talking to the different stakeholders. So. For this last engagement that I'm that I'm thinking of with this client, um, I really just spent a lot lot of time interviewing stakeholders, interviewing volunteers, interviewing donors, interviewing the public to try to get an understanding of what the the brand sentiment, the perception of the market of the brand was, and that really um, caused me to take um, a, a, a attack that was would have been a little bit different. I didn't come in then with my recommendations and the deliverables saying. Well, look, all of the things that you need just magically happen to align with the things that I already do. Actually, what I found out was that there's some things that they need that that really aren't in my wheelhouse. And I was able to bring in some um, some domain experts um, in some of those areas to speak into that process. So I think at the end of the day, uh, I think it serves our clients more um, rather than the approach of I'm just a hammer looking for a nail. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a better outcome. Well, you know, as pragmatic, we are passionate about the same kind of thing, right? Like understanding the market and using that to drive things forward. And I know one of the things that you take this knowledge and then you've, and you've got to share it with your clients. And one of the things that you use and, and, and talk about too is personas, right? Sort of how does that personas fit into that as part of the process of moving from market research to things that we can actionably use as we build out our, our product marketing? Yeah, uh, so that's that's perfect. Um, you know, there's one way of building products and doing product marketing, and that's sort of product centrically, right? Like I came up with this cool thing, this cool idea. I want to I want to figure out how I can make money with it, and then I just sort of you know kind of try to jam that into 
selling it to somebody and, and appealing to them because I think it's a cool product. Um, and, and, you know, we see this a lot with people that, um, you know, want to sort of look at it from an engineering first approach. Um, but that's kind of a, a product looking for a market rather than a market driving product. Right. And, and I understand that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but, um, you know, understanding the personas, understanding who, uh, who it's for, whether it's your product itself or um, the marketing around the product, uh, a particular campaign, a particular message, um, really asking those two questions from a, a design standpoint, design thinking standpoint, who's this thing for and what's it for? Um, and I'm, I'm in favor of kind of trying to understand um, who your target audience is and getting into their story. Um, you know, when, when I wake up in the morning, I'm kind of the main character. I'm the hero of my story. I'm not living in GE's story or Apple's story. I'm in the middle of my story. And so I'm looking for products and services uh, that are going to help me get to my happy ending. Right. Uh, and, and that's the grid and the, le the lens through which I look at the world. Um, and so um, I don't have a whole lot of patience for, for people that haven't done the deep discovery to really understand anything about me. I actually got a cold call or, or a somewhat cold call this morning from um, a company that I ended up on their list for years ago. And, you know, he kind of goes right into this pitch about products. And I asked him, what do you know about me? You know, and at this point, I'm, I'm probably uber sensitive to this sort of thing. But I think we've all experienced, uh, you know, the cold call, uh, the knock on the door, um, the automated, the robo call. And, and it just alienates us because we don't feel like um, people really understand where we're coming from or really what we're after. And they're just sort of pushing products. So back to personas, um, deeply, deeply understanding who you're serving and then the implication of that is tailoring the message um, really around um, that, that hero, that persona and, and what they want, you know, and really understanding what, what it is that they're after, like what, what's the promised land for them? Um, what are the things that they really want? Um, what are the things getting in the way of them attaining what they want? And then, then we can come alongside them as sort of the mentor or the guide, sort of the, the Mr. Miyagi to, to Daniel or, or the, uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker. And we can um, position ourselves alongside of them to help them win the day versus it becoming really all about us. So um, some of that's market research driven in terms of understanding those personas, things like demographics and psychographics. Um, you know, some of those things we can, we can make some, I think, educated um, assertions based on what we already know. Maybe if we've been in the market for a while, um, but really trying to understand, you know, the buying psychology and the life and the experience of who that target market is. And, and then how we tell that story to that respective group is going to be different from one group to the next, right? So if I'm talking to um, a CEO who is really looking at business drivers, that's going to be a different story that he's in, for instance, than the CFO who is really looking at how to um, prevent financial disaster, you know, or uh, make sure that things are fiscally sound or quarterly earnings or things like that. So um, really taking into account, coming back to, you know, the, the simple thing that we know, who's your audience and then kind of tailoring the story to that. 
Awesome. And I think in today's world, you know, while some of the times you get really frustrated, you're so used to companies knowing so much about you. There's so much data out there. There's so much sort of personalization and hyper-personalization that it's almost more offensive now than ever when they act like they don't know you. Right. It's like, I know, I know, you know, (laughs) um, yeah. So then as they get to know you and they do the messaging, how do you, um, work with your clients and iterating and testing that messaging and making sure that it's really fine tuned for each persona. Yeah. I'm a fan of, um, you know, kind of even before going live with a given message, um, testing it among, um, sort of a, a focus group, or if you have a group of, uh, of longtime clients that are part of a, um, you know, a council or some kind of a, a group that you've formulated so that you can better understand your customers, um, you know, testing that message with them. Um, sometimes when you're going through the exercise of, of actually formulating that message, including um, some of those trusted uh, stakeholders, um, people that are close to your brand, people that have been around with you for a long time, um, I tend to play kind of in the B2B space. And so they're a lot more relational versus a transactional model. Um, you know, obviously if your business is a product that's sold online that um, might just be, you know, a lifetime value equal to, you know, the unit cost of, of the widget, that's going to be harder to do. Um, but I think, you know, it can also come back to conversion optimization, right? You can get metrics on uh, how that message is performing during A-B testing on a website. And, and we have tools that can track all of this kind of thing. But um, whether it's quantitative or quantitative, a qualitative analysis. I think, um, you know, there's, there's no silver bullet. There's no magic wand. There's no, um, you know, magical Pied Piper music that's going to, um, you know, convince everybody that you're, you're just, your secret sauce is the best. You know, it's an iterative process and it just requires, um, you know, going in with a hypothesis, just like everything else in marketing, right? We go in with a hypothesis. We want to gather the data and observe and then, um, make some educated changes to iterate. Um, based on that. So um, two ways to do that. And I think it's always um, even, I even think of this last engagement where I went in with the deliverable. Here's the deliverable. Here are a couple of pieces of copy and messaging you can use and just getting real-time feedback. Um, you know, not taking that personally, just like, oh, you know, we could probably add that element to it or tweak this or that. So I think it takes some humility as well, realizing like, you know, there's there's no perfect message and market dynamics are always changing competitors are always lurking, um, you know, disruptions always happening and, and the message has to, to continue to adapt to an ever-changing environment. I think it, it can be a dangerous thing when we fall in love with our words, right? Like it's such a clever turn of phrase or it, it feels so powerful to us uh, and you have to be able to let it go because it doesn't really matter if I like it and respond to it as much as it does with the market. And it might work for a time, yeah. um, but it might get stale. So one of the other things I think is always difficult is we're as we're telling our brand story and we're trying to do it in a way that is compelling to people is it's hard to be to do that quickly. It's hard to make it succinct. It's hard to capture them right away. Like if you give me, you know, a little while on a phone call, I can I can maybe woo you and tell you. But how do I boil it down to its essence? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, again, no no magic wand or silver bullet here, but. I think I'm just of the persuasion that we tend to actually make these decisions a lot more emotionally than we tend to want to admit. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we, we want to say, 
uh, I can just sort of create this great argument, this sort of left brain cognitive case, like a lawyer would, about why this product or service is, um, it makes the most sense. Um, and there are definitely some people that sort of skew that way in terms of the decision making. Um, and obviously, the longer the sales cycle, um, you know, the more, the, the, the higher the price point, there's going to be more and more and more scrutiny. Um, but people are people. And I think um, really everything boils down to um, a person's sort of emotional reason to buy things. Um, and, it, and it might be, um, you know, related to things that are also important to the company, but it could be very, very personal. Um, it could be related to something um, that, that they're not even willing to admit, but just have this um, sort of uh, primal sense about. So that's the hard work of really getting to the core of what's at stake and what this decision is really about. Um, but I would caution us away from ignoring the empathetic side of things, ignoring the emotional side of things, um, and really focusing too much on um, you know, the logical case. Not to throw away the logical case, and that's obviously really important, but um, I don't know if you figured this out, Rebecca, or not, but I, I'm at the point in my, in my uh, life where I've realized not everything we do makes sense in the strictest sense of the term all the time. Like some things we just do because it feels right. A hundred percent, right? You know, you go with your gut, you do, that's how sometimes you pick creative one over the other before you get tested, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And it's an important part. And I do think in a B2B environment in particular, we sometimes think that people only make the decisions based on spreadsheets and weighted functionality. And it's, it's all a math problem. And, and again, there's pain and problems and they want, you know, there's a emotions tied to what success would look like. There's emotions tied to yeah. the pains they're in. And, and that is honestly how we're making decisions. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess, you know, you think of the CFO looking at the financial case, right? Or the board looking at the financial case. And, and I think we can't say that, you know, that's not important, but going head to head with another provider that has a similar financial case than you do, the, the prospect of the client's going to go with, you know, apples to apples, kind of what they, what they feel the best about. And that might just be in the sales engagement, they liked you better, uh, or they liked the other guy better, or um, as a brand uh, and the brand impression they made, um, they just they identified with it more, even sort of subconsciously um, related to the design, related to the color scheme. So um, I think you know a lot of this comes back to a brand really understanding who they are mm. and what kind of people they. Uh, what what they stand for and who they're for, um, because being for everybody um, and being a product that that you know is for everybody is kind of being like a product that's for nobody. Um, and there's a lot of power to say we're for this kind of person. So I mean, the classic example of this is Apple, right? And if you remember those ads, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, and of course the caricature of the PC was sort of this really straight laced button down nerdy guy, um, to be frank, you know, um, and then the, the cool brand was Apple. Right. And so apples for cool people. Right. And of course, like that's, that's, uh, that's a subjective perspective. Well, still thinks that. <laughs> but, but, they, yeah, but, but, 
they position themselves in a way that, um, you know, that it makes my point. Like if you look at the spreadsheet and if you look at the tech specs, um, plenty of capable PCs, half the price of an Apple computer, but people came in droves and bought Apple computers. Very true. Because they want to be that aspirational identity of the cool guy, right? They don't want to be the nerd. So we talked about the understanding your brand. We talked about get, knowing the right person that you're talking to and the right message. And I think the third step of this, and I, and I know you talk about this as well, is getting them at the right point in their journey. So how, what are you guys doing in that area? So I think it's a tough one. Yeah, it, it is hard. Um, and there's a lot of tools out there that try to help you to do that. What, what we mean at the right journey, and I, I kind of go back to the analogy of uh, friendships or even romantic relationships, um, there's an appropriate thing to say to someone you're interested in later in the relationship. But if you said that same thing uh, really early on, it would get awkward or creepy or you know, it would not go well. So I can't just have a first conversation with you at a layer of a level of intimacy that is, you know, reflective of a year long relationship, that's going to go really badly. So that's what I mean by right message, right stakeholder, right time. Um, the right stakeholder piece is, well, are you the guy that cares more about, you know, X, Y, and Z criteria or A, B, and C criteria, right? And so um, there's tools that try to help you do this. You know, there's, there's marketing automation tools. Um, you know, there's, there's Salesforce. I'm a big fan of HubSpot and we've adopted that internally and are helping um, our clients maximize those tools. Um, you know, I'm not here to say that like the tool solves it all, um, or that there's, there really is a, a single tool that solves every problem. Um, I think, I think some of the providers would want you to think that. Um, but a lot of the tools have, have recognized there's a journey that our customers are on. And when we're trying to attract, uh, customers, uh, there's a certain set of things that need to happen, like pertaining to marketing, right? So we need to advertise or we need to spend some time doing content marketing so we can develop our authority in the space. And so you use things like blogs and you use video and you do things like paid ads and you do social. And so tools that can incorporate um, all of those functions under a single roof are going to be really, really powerful because you have a consolidation of data. Right. The system knows what's happening. Um, whereas with many organizations, you have fragmentation, you've got data silos, right? You have, um, you know, in the case of, of a recent client who was a nonprofit, um, you've got, um, you know, this group doing this over there in this system and that group doing that over there in that system, right? Um, you've got social media and all your tools over here. But that doesn't talk to your email marketing system, nor does it talk to your ads system, nor does it uh, understand what's happening in their website. So to the extent that you have that fragmentation, it, it either means you can reconcile that data manually, which is really time consuming, right? Um, it's just a lot of manual data reconciliation. Um, or you can try to build integration or APIs or some of these systems allow for, for integration, right? Where you have the best of breeds that now they talk to each other through Zapier or whatever integration um, tools you might use. And then the third being kind of the all-in-one. And so um, being able to, you know, understand what content people have already consumed, um, where they are on the journey, and what's the right next step uh, in terms of a message that they need to hear from us. Do they need to show up at a webinar? 
Do we need to um, have a salesperson reach out to them? Um, do we need to give them uh, message B versus message A based on the things that we know about them thus far? Um, having that all under one roof just makes things so much easier. And I'm a big fan of making things easier where we can. Absolutely. Well, it's just, it also lets you test different things and you spend less time uh, trying to manually do things and compare things and you can work on the, stra- uh, the strategic side a lot more. Absolutely. All right, Kevin, we've talked about a ton of different things today. If you could get our listeners to do two things differently based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say check your assumptions. Um, and, and, and in that vein, kind of beware of the internal Kool-Aid that you might be drinking. Um, organizations are full of um, echo chambers and yes men. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, sometimes it's political. Sometimes people are afraid to kind of challenge the assumptions, um, but it's just that kind of challenge that might actually help you get closer to um, to your target audience. And so um, sometimes bringing in some fresh air can really help that. Um, and then I would say, um, look at where there are bottlenecks, look at where there's friction in your process. And if you haven't kind of mapped out your customer journey, uh, to understand um, and, and take a look at your best customers. Take a look at the best case studies and understand um, what path did it take for them to get from never having heard of you to now delighted and, and your biggest raving fan. Uh, what did that journey look like? What were the steps that they had to take? And kind of audit that and try to understand where the friction points may be. You can also interview uh, the people that didn't do business with you. You can interview your rejectors, the people that never did business with you, and your defectors, the people that um, were were with you but but left you for something or someone else at some point to really try to get a 360 view of what's it what's it feel like to have a relationship with us as a company all throughout that journey. And really at that point, it just becomes um, about optimizing each step, removing those those points where there's a lot of friction. Um, and, and that just creates uh, a smoother customer journey and ultimately means more business for your company and then less people leaving through the back door. Good, good points, both of those, for sure. All right, Kevin, it has been a pleasure having you on today. I really appreciate your time, and I'm excited to see what Marketing Trail Guide goes and how that name resonates and grows, as does the, the impact you have. I appreciate it, Rebecca. And if uh, any of your listeners want to um, have a resource that can allow them to really help to clearly define who that target audience is and really enter into the story of their target audience, um, there's something on my website they can download for free. Okay, if I give you that address? Absolutely. We love yeah, so the, the resource is called the Story Message Map. So if you go to Marketing Trail Guide, dot com slash story message map. Um, you can download that for free and it's going to um, allow you to really get in the heads and the minds and the hearts of your target audience as one distinct from another so that you can figure out how to best message to each of those respective audiences. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Rebecca. I appreciate it. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.